And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Having no reverential fear of God is super serious. Among other things, it leads to perverted theology. And now with his message for this morning, our pastor, Robert Elliott. You see, the Jews of our passage in Romans 3 this morning, they thought somehow that their God somehow crossed his fingers when he made promises to them, that he really just crossed his fingers and he didn't intend to keep his promises of his covenants. They thought that God would fully break his promises to them, but he wouldn't. These Jews and first readers of this book, they thought that they could negate, wipe out, cancel, nullify God's promises by doubting him, but they couldn't because God is the perfect promise keeper. Now, wouldn't you say that a person who believes God crosses his fingers when God makes promises, and a person who elevates himself to such a high standing that their behavior can take away God's promise? Wouldn't you say that such a person has a very low view of their God? And it was their terribly low view of God which twisted their reasoning to the point of hoping that their sin would bring good from God and that that scenario could excuse them from being accountable before God when they faced him. Wow, what a mess. Lowering the bar on who God is, lowering the bar on what God is entitled to do, invites perverted theology. If we will lower the bar on who God actually is and lower the bar on God's entitlement to do whatever he wants and needs to do, we are left with perverted, made-in-man's-mind theology. We never want to lower the bar. When all is said and done, here's the problem within Romans 3, 1 to 8. When all is said and done, here's the point of Romans 3, 1 and 8. It's what I want you to take away if you don't take anything else away. Get this. No reverential fear for God is a big deal. Not reverencing God is super serious. Do you reverence God? Not just when you're sitting in this lovely sanctuary. Do you reverence God Monday to Saturday? No reverential fear of God is a big deal. It's very super serious. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, the verse that stands at the gateway of the whole book of Proverbs is a verse you probably know very well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear God. Love God. I want to close with four illustrations, some positive and some negative, on fearing God, because no reverential fear of God is a big deal. Number one, There was a farmer in the second church I pastored. He lived as a bachelor. He never had married. lived in a very rustic log cabin at a dirt floor. He had a very simple table and two chairs when I went to visit him. And he had an old tractor. It worked, but it was super old, rusty, banged up. Had a lot of scars from farming on this tractor. And whenever 
this farmer would come to our church building to worship God, which wasn't every Sunday. But whenever he came to worship God at our church building, he came in a taxi cab that would have cost him probably $75. And he wasn't a wealthy man. I said to him, Jim, I notice every time you come to worship here, you come in a taxi. He goes, yes, pastor. He said, my God is so holy that I'm not going to drive my tractor to the church building that's had its wheels in cow manure all week. Reverential fear for God. Second, a lady I spoke with who came out of Roman Catholicism into a saving personal faith in Jesus, she said, Pastor, I have really one pressing question. I was thinking she was going to ask about Martin Luther or infant baptism or something like that, last rites. She said, my one burning question is, how come when I walk into a Protestant church building before the service, it sounds like a shopping mall? Why is it so noisy? Why, When we go into a Catholic church, you walk in the doors and you're quiet. I just can't get over it. When I come into a Protestant church, everybody is just yucking it up. No reverential fear of God. I'm not talking about when we greet each other. We've asked you to yuck it up and greet each other in love. But I'm saying when we come to God, we have to come with a reverential respect. And this Roman Catholic turned Protestant said, what really gets me is when I come into the Protestant church, it sounds like a food court at a mall. Number three, I told you before when I was candidating, there was a Awana commander in a church I pastored and a Awana leader who got involved in an adulterous affair that was found out. We disciplined both of them. Church disciplined both of them. They did not repent. She said to me, after not repenting, she said, well, so-and-so and I are going to find a church. I said, really? You're going to find a church as adulterers? You're just going to go and join a church, and you're both committing adultery with each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, just find one that doesn't take the Bible too seriously. No reverential fear of God. Or, this is a quote from Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the Message Bible, which is an interesting paraphrase that I refer to sometimes. This is a devotional based on the Message by Eugene Peterson. The Bible isn't interested in whether we believe in God or not. It assumes that everyone more or less does. What the Bible is interested in is the response we have toward God. Will we let God be as he is, a majestic and holy God, a vast and wondrous God, or will we always be trying to whittle him down to the size of our own small minds, insisting on confining him within the boundaries that we are comfortable with, refusing to think of him other than in images that are convenient to our lifestyle. But then, we are not dealing with the God of creation and the Christ of the cross, but with a dime store reproduction of something made in our image, usually for commercial reasons. To guard against all such blasphemous chumminess with the Almighty, the Bible talks of the fear of the Lord, not to scare us, but to bring us to awesome attention before the overwhelming grandeur of God, to shut up our whining and chattering and stop our running and fidgeting so that we can really see him as he is and listen to him as he speaks his merciful, life-changing words of forgiveness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We want to avoid asking the Lord if his fingers were crossed when he made his promises in his Bible. We want to keep the bar high enough on who God is and what he's entitled to do. Or put another way, we want to never ask the Lord, 
Are your hands tied behind your back? Fear God and don't push back against God's right to judge sin and sinners. I'll say that again. Fear God and don't push back against God's right to judge sin and sinners. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you that you keep all of your promises. We have a longing now. We want never to lower the bar either on who you are or on what you have the right to do. And we have another longing now to reverentially fear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, an edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on talking about boldness and talking about how we are to take a stand for Christ even when no one else does. And last week we, we ended and we talked about how in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar set up this idol and, and everyone should, should bow down to it. And when you hear the music, bow down. And, and this is what you're supposed to do. So we want to pick up right there at verse 12 and it says this. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So here it is. People are trying to get in the way. They're trying to come and get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in trouble, um, saying that, hey, these guys aren't listening to you, king. You know, imagine that, you know, you told them what to do, and they're not listening. They don't respect you. And, and you can imagine they're just, you know, putting all these things in the king's mind and saying, boy, if I was you, I would do this. And, you know, the list goes on. They get the king angry, as we see in verse 13. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Verse 15, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I made. But if you don't, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace. And who is the God who can rescue from my power? So here it is, the king is giving him another chance. Hey, Maybe you guys are hard of hearing. Maybe you didn't hear the music. Maybe you didn't hear my order. I want you. I'm going to do it again. And when you hear it, you bow down immediately. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have this opportunity. They could have said, you know what? Let's just bow down and, you know, do it not from our hearts, but just do it so we could please the people around us. That would be easy to do, right? You know, just, just follow what everyone else is doing. But verse 16 says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. What a scene. What, what they're saying is, look, if we're going to take a stand, it doesn't matter. We don't have to say nothing to you. We don't have to answer to you. And of course, the king is already furious. I'm sure this has made him even more furious. And here they're saying, look, our God will deliver us. He can deliver us. And that would be great if it just stopped right there and saying, you know what? 
our God can deliver us and we know this and we can live life and we can do what we can do. But then we have verse 18 and we have that famous three letter word, but it says this, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So we see this picture. We see this. Hey, look, our God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to your, your idol. What about you? How is it for you when school is starting, when no one else is following you? You know, many people may be listening and you may have gone to Christian camps and other things and made decisions and did all these things. And you when you're a camp, it's so easy because everyone else is doing it. But now you're the odd person out and no one's doing it, only you. What are you going to do? Are you willing to take the stand? Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to say, hey, I'm willing, I'm ready? Or are you going to just follow the crowd? Even if God doesn't deliver you, even if you don't feel like doing it, he's there with you. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and expression on his face, changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was customary. So look, he's so mad, he's saying, look, I don't want you just to leave it where it is. Turn it up seven times. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace. Since the king command was so urgent, the, the furnace was extremely hot. The raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we see, hey, these men who are carrying them are dead. Bam. They have burned up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, bound into the furnace and blazing fire. Again, we have this picture. They're in the fire. They're ready to go. They're burning up for Christ, willing to take a stand. And it would end there. If it ended there, it would be like, wow, what a story. These guys went in. They took a stand. They died. They, they, they died for Christ. But we see what happens next. And verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. What a, ch what a challenge for each one of us. Here it is. King Nebuchadnezzar sees and says, wow, we tied four men in there. I mean, three men in there. And now I see a fourth. Nothing. They're running around. They're walking around. They're not just lying there. They're walking around. So I challenge you with this as we, we close this week. Are you willing to go to the fire even if God doesn't deliver you? Even if you take the persecution? Even if you die for it? Even if you are called names? Are you willing to say, God, no matter what, as I start this new year of school, I'm willing to take a stand no matter what? No matter if no one else follows me, I'm willing to take a stand for you because you're the one that I want to please. This is Pastor Nicholas in the Benediction of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning, listeners. We're pleased you're tuned in this morning. And 
In the recording studio with me this morning is my friend Paul Worrell. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Pastor Rob. Pleasure to be here again. Well, thank you. I was going to um, mention that God has given you and Denise, your wife, uh, two beautiful uh, grown men who are sons. And I know that you both thank the Lord for them, um, Chris and Michael. And I thought it might be beneficial if you were to give a little thought to what the Lord has led you to do to, as their dad, um, how you've prayed that um, God has graced you with two sons that not only uh, trust Christ, but who really are sold out for him. So there are some dads listening, granddads listening. Uh, what would you share with us along those lines? Well, I would begin from before the boys were born. This may sound a bit selfish, but I prayed to the Lord that I would have boys because I didn't think I would be able to handle daughters. Uh-huh. I felt I would just spoil my daughters. They would have to be wrapped around their finger, but I could discipline my sons. Yes. The Lord answered my prayer. I also prayed another prayer before the Lord. I said, Lord... I don't want to die before my sons know Jesus Christ as Savior and they're able to take care of a family of their own. Nice. Well, they don't have families of their own yet, mm-hmm. but they do know the Lord. They sure do. So he does answer prayer. Yeah. That's a proof. Yeah. He hears and answers prayer. But a, a lot of the lessons I learned about being a dad, I learned from my father. Um, my father was always present and he taught me by example. I never said my father was perfect, but he was always present, and I really appreciated that. But one of the most important things that a father can do for his sons that would be of lasting import, the first one would be to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Definitely. In this day and age, we need to stand for something, and I think we need to stand for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But even after that, we need to live that life, that Christian life before our children. And it can't be a life of pretense. It can't be, you know, dad is perfect and I expect you to be also. Mm-hmm. When dad makes a mistake, be willing to admit it to his sons. But show his sons how he deals with his mistakes. When you bring things to the Lord, let your children see you bring them to the Lord. Um, when you don't know the answer and you seek the Lord's guidance, let your children see you're seeking the Lord's guidance. Let them see that your life revolves around the Lord. Mm-hmm. To this day, I pray with my children, with my sons. They aren't children anymore. They're all grown. I will pray with my sons um, and let them know that whatever I do for them or with them is a gift from the Lord. Mm. When my sons were growing up and they had difficulties, both Denise and I, we would pray about it. Yes. An environment that where Christ is central is important. It is very important. We are not in control of our children's salvation. We're not in control of the decisions our children make. We can definitely be a strong influence by the life we live before them. And it can't be a hypocritical one. Yes. Because they will see it very quickly. Yes. Spend time with your children. Spend time in the Lord with your children. But particularly with boys, love their mother. Love their mother. Love, love your wife. Their mother. Love your wife. 
and demonstrated. Mm-hmm. My father loves his wife, loved his wife, and he demonstrated it. Mm-hmm. I therefore learned how to be a husband mm-hmm. and to be a father. You know, there are lessons that my father taught me that I use to this day. And they have nothing to do with the Bible. But he was interested enough to tell me these little gems, mm-hmm. not keep them to himself, so that he could be one better than me. I can remember him saying, Paul, when you're driving, look to the side of the road when the bright lights shine in your face. Yes. Because that's what my father taught me. He said, Rand, that's my father's name, and they used to ride bicycles then. You know, when the lamp is shining in your face, don't look at the other bicycle's lamp. Just look to the side of the road, follow the line. For what it's worth, my father taught me that all the way up to Canada. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And he said, the other thing he said, Paul, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. So I live by plans, by mm-hmm. scheduling. But those things you have to pass on to your children. The value of scripture. One thing I told my sons, if you want to correct mom or myself, or you want to do something other than what we tell you to do, if you can prove that it's right through scripture, you're free to do it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, our law is the law mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. This is so helpful, so practical. I just wonder uh, if there's a man or men out listening to what we're talking about. Okay. And they are uh, mindful that, that it makes sense, that it, that's the way they should go. But let's say their kids are grown or almost grown and they say, you know, honestly, this has not been the kind of father I've been to date. Uh, is there hope for them? And, you know, what would you encourage them with? Absolutely. Um, there's always hope um, in Jesus Christ. Yes. Jesus Christ transforms lives. The Holy Spirit is always in control. Mm-hmm. This may sound like a cliche, but take it to the Lord in prayer. Mm-hmm. Seek guidance. You know, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. Yes. Then I don't know what to do. I've never experienced this before. I just have to fall before the Lord in prayer. Mm-hmm. Whether it is in business, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in being a good husband, and I have my challenges there. But I go to the Lord in prayer and I search the scriptures. And I've never, ever come up short as a result. Amen. Never, ever. But in the, more specifically, in the father son relationship, let your son know this is what I'm doing. Don't let it be a secret. I have failed. We need to do better. I'm going to seek wisdom from the Lord. Then incrementally, little by little, let the Lord change you. Absolutely. Before your children, before your watch. Oh, yes. That's so good. It may not happen overnight, but you have to be there for the long haul. Yes. Uh, Someone taught me it's a long obedience in the same direction. Absolutely. That we're shooting for. Absolutely. That's just wonderful. Well, I would like to thank you for um, your thoughts and suggestions today, and I'd like to pray. Thank you. Lord, we're so grateful for the blessing of marriage, of being granted children within marriage, of being a dad or a mother. And Lord, we know that it is a wonderful gift and a wonderful blessing, but equally it's a, it's a big responsibility. 
And some of us, Lord, today are have regrets and are wondering um, how we can go forward to be different. Uh, I pray that, first of all, you would inject hope into these uh, fathers and mothers. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ majors in hope. He is the God who has been raised from the dead. He is the one who is the central cause of hope. So give hope to those listening who feel hopeless. And Lord, for those dads and mothers that are on track, have been for some time because of the Holy Spirit guiding and the scriptures guiding them and the fact that they've been able to live uh, selflessly as parents, we thank you and we praise you for that. And we pray that these that would say that's by your grace what's happened, that they would continue. They won't grow tired in well-doing, that they will um, be an encouragement to others around them who need encouragement by way of parenting. And Lord, to the end, that that boys and girls will become men and women uh, who know you as Lord and Savior, who love you and who serve you and uh, who have families of their own that would just repeat this wonderful process. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of all hope and comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 gives rise to this question. If our sins were judged at the cross... Why must believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ? The issue of the judgment seat, Greek bima, of Christ, is not the punishment of sin, but the reward of service. After the church is taken to heaven, individual believers will be judged for their works. Each believer's life will be examined with regard to his or her faithfulness as a steward of the abilities and opportunities entrusted to each by God. Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15, that faithfulness will be graciously rewarded and unfaithfulness will result in the loss of reward. The judgment seat of Christ should serve as a motivation for godly living and for faithful service for Christ. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or 
P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>